Welcome to the Round 6 Podcast, a weekly roundtable discussion featuring a variety of automotive subjects, interviews, special guests, and stories, hosted by the Round 6 Gearheads, Alex Welsh and Ryan Stupski. On episode 30, Alex and Brian discuss signature events and the performance enthusiast industry with Mr. Jimmy Day of FM3 Performance Marketing. Especially when we move into the Dungeons and Dragons fan fiction oh, yeah. part of the show. So. Oh, man. Now this is where you start second guessing the whole. Hey, I want to go on that show. <laughs> the role playing. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. yeah. Right, well, hey, speaking of role playing, uh, why don't we just do this? Uh, <laughs> Let's roll. Welcome to the Round Six Podcast. I'm Brian. I'm Alex. And with us tonight is uh, the the man behind FM3 Marketing, uh, a man who probably needs no real introduction if you're in this industry at all, Mr. Jimmy Day. Welcome, sir. Hi, guys. How are you? Doing great. We are Good. awesome. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Thank you for coming. This is going to be a great episode. You, that was quite can... an introduction. I hope I can live up to that. <laughs> I had a better one lined up. It was, it was about an hour and a half long. It was yeah, the yeah. Grammy <laughs> speech of intros. It was the Jimi Hendrix, Jimmy Day cross-reference. <laughs> you know. Alex he taught him everything he knew. Coming up with okay. a Venn diagram of ways that Jimi Hendrix's life and yours could possibly come together as one. Does it help if I tell you I'm wearing a headband right now? Ooh. Ooh, this one. Is, <laughs> we're back to that Inception thing from earlier. This is what uh, So how are you, man? What What is new in your world, sir? Well, I'm doing great. And, and we've got, you know, I guess what's new in the world is, is what, you know, what we're working on right at the moment. And that is getting ready for SEMA and, uh, the ultimate streetcar invitational immediately following SEMA. But it's been, you know, it's been a really great year for us. And we, we did some new things this year. We, we started a, we started a new series, um, called drive auto X, which is kind of a, an autocross type series that, that we hope will turn autocross on its head a little bit and change up the format. We did our, our second year of, of Holly's LS Fest West out in Vegas, and it was a huge, huge success. And, mm-hmm. you know, LS Fest this year was bigger than ever. Roadkill Nights was bigger than ever. It's, been a, it's just been a really, a really great year for, for things that, that we've been involved in. I, I feel so blessed and lucky that, that we're, we're able to do this kind of stuff and, and actually call it a job. That's outstanding. I and you guys really. I, I think every major event, especially anything that deals with driving, especially you guys have your stamp on that, and yeah. you've really uh, not only created a kind of a, a unique genre with that, but you've elevated it to a point where it, it feels like it has always been there. Yep. Well, thanks. That's I'll I'll take that as a compliment. We we work really hard and and we have a great team of, of really passionate individuals and we're, we do a lot of automotive events. That's, that's what we specialize in. And, and I think one of the reasons that we're, you know, pretty good at it is everybody that works for us and everybody that's on our team is a passionate automotive individual. We all 
have our own custom cars and pro touring cars. And, and when we're not doing events on our own or that we do, we, we go to events. That's, that's what we do. We kind of, we are our own customer. That's what I tell people. We're, we're our own customer. So when we're, you know, creating new events and talking about what would be fun, well, we figure out what would be fun for us because we, we figure we are our own client base and that's worked out pretty good for us. I would say so. Wow. Alex, you, you and I were kind of talking about this earlier. I know you've got a million questions on how the logistics of, yeah. of running an event like I, that I'm, I'm blown away. I don't know how you do it. I, yeah. Well, it, it takes a, a team, uh, obviously, of, of individuals to, to put things together. And it's, it, we've learned over time. You know, we've, been doing, we've been doing these events now for, for more than 10 years, and we've done thousands of them. And obviously, like any other business, you, you develop a process, right? And, and that, I think, is our, is our trade secret. It's our, it's our process. It's how we, it's how we sit down and, and, and go through the process from, from conceptualizing and, and creating the event all the way to the end and, and the post-event analysis and, and all of the, the hundreds and hundreds of steps in between. Alex, I know you're a, you're a project manager mm-hmm. uh, in, yeah. your, in your regular job. My regular gig, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and so you know all the steps that it takes to, to put you know, a project together and, and calculate the hours and the staffing. Well, we, we created kind of a, a process that, that works for, for these types of events, whether it be a, you know, a racing event like search for the ultimate streetcar, um, you know, whether it be a spectator competitive event like roadkill nights or, or whether it's just a big participant event like LS fest, we've got kind of a process for each one of these that we go through and, and everybody on our team has kind of a unique responsibility as, you know, we break it down into smaller segments and everybody on our team has, you know, a responsibility and, you know, somebody's responsible for registration. Somebody else is responsible for the box office. Somebody else is responsible for traffic security and parking and, you know, someone else is in charge of timing and scoring. And so there's, you know, there's individuals that each have kind of a manager role for those. And then of course, myself and my partner Wally and we have another director of special events his name is Mike Morrison and we're all kind of the you know at the top of the food chain at the 50,000 foot level kind of managing all of the managers and then really we step in when decisions have to be made or or if there's something that pops up that that wasn't part of the the plan or they're in the playbook and make a decision on how to move forward with that but it's it, it certainly is a process and I think that's kind of our secret and what makes FM3 so good is that we're passionate about what we do. We love doing it. And I always tell people, you know, we get a lot of people that call and say, Hey, thanks for putting on these events. And I always say it's our pleasure because it really is. I always tell people there's a lot worse jobs in the world that you could have besides ours. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, we go to, we go to racetracks and, and automotive events, uh, about 40 weekends out of a year. And there, you know, it, it's a job. It, it's one of those things where, you know, if you didn't have to do it on certain weekends, you wouldn't. But relatively speaking to what else is out there and, and you could be doing, it's it's not a bad gig. And, and I'm I'm not ashamed to say I love my job and I love it every day. It's, it's amazing. At what point before an event do you start the process of putting all the key elements into place? Is it something that's a year in advance, six months in advance? Because some of the events that you do are of a pretty large scale and these aren't things that come together quickly. 
Yeah, it depends on the event, really, and the size of the event or the scope of the planning that goes into it. And so if you take an event like Hot Rod Power Tour, for example, Hot Rod Power Tour is the world's largest traveling car show. Uh, seven cities in seven days, and it's about 5,000 cars total. And if you think about just certain pieces of the logistics that, that I, I tell people sometimes, you know, the way we think is backwards to what almost everybody else thinks because we, we, start, we start thinking at, at what the event is supposed to be and then we think backwards from there to, to how we get there, right? So we have an end goal in mind and then we think backwards and that's how our project plan goes into place. So an event like Hot Rod Power Tour where you've got to find you have to kind of plan a route and, and you know kind of a general direction where you want to go, but then you have to be able to find six facilities that will accommodate 3,500 to 4,000 cars at one time. Wow. Right? So that's just the start of, <laughs> that's just the start of the planning. So you can't wait until, you know, a couple months before the event to decide where you're going to go. You have to book these because now these venues you're talking about are arenas, sports stadiums, um, you know, big racetracks like Kansas Speedway and, and Texas Motor Speedway, you know, places where you can get that many cars in. These are big places and these are big event, typically big event arenas. And you've got to get on their calendar early in the year. And when you're planning something like this, you're pretty limited on the number of places that can actually physically hold an event like that. So, you just get on the phone. And so events like that, you know, take longer than a year really to, to prepare. You know, we're, we've been working on Hot Rod Power Tour 2019 since even before Power Tour 2018 started. So it's been longer than a year. Um, certain events like Search for the Ultimate Streetcar, you know, that's a, that's a 10 event series that we do every year. We've got the process down now. We've got the staffing in place where Literally, we don't start planning the next event until we're done with the one we're doing now. So it's it's sometimes, you know, three to five weeks. Mm -hmm. um, now, we do the schedule well ahead of time. So, I, you know, we announce our schedule for Search for the Ultimate Streetcar at SEMA every year. And I've already got the schedule in place for 2019. So if you, if you include that as part of the planning, um, you know, that's that's a year ahead of time, too. If you're doing a new event, you've really got to get out ahead of it if you want people to show up at your first one. You can't, you know, you can't announce a new event that's going to take place in six weeks. Because if you do that, most people already have their calendars planned out well beyond that. And if it's an event where they're going to have to spend a weekend, drive more than 100 miles and stay at a hotel, you've got to get way out in front of it because you're, you're competing, you're competing for somebody's disposable dollars and their time. And there's a lot of events out there that, that are great events. And if you want to be in consideration, you've got to get your event out plenty early and give people an opportunity to, to look at their calendar and say, okay, this one, will, this one will fit on my calendar. So ideally, we like to, you know, we love to be out in front of something at least a year if we can, if nothing else, just for the promotion of it. Um, we've done events in as little as 60 days. Uh, from from concept to execution, we don't like to do it that way. 
um, because you pay a lot of overnight fees and a lot of rush fees and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> a yeah. lot of inconvenience fees. <laughs> 60 straight days of no sleep. We don't like to do that, but we can <laughs> if, if we need to. We've done it before. You know, and, and you speak of uh, all the things that you guys do, and all I can think of in the back of my head, you've got to have a huge amount of employees. And I'm probably incorrect when I'm thinking that. Do you have a large number of employees, or do you coordinate a lot of your events using uh, a, a trusted subcontractor? Well, we, we contract a lot of staff because a lot of the events we do, you know, we need – well, I'll just give you an example. Uh, roadkill nights that we did in Detroit uh, back in August. It's a it's literally a one day event, and we build we build an NHRA quality drag strip on Woodward Avenue. We're the only company that cool has that? ever gotten permits from the state of Michigan to <laughs> close Woodward Avenue World and famous. build a drag strip on there. Yeah, um, and we prep it. It's not a we actually prep it like an NHRA track. We bring in a we bring in a prep crew um, with with all of the VHT and all the equipment um, to to make a drag strip. But that's a one-day event, and that event, there's, you know, it literally takes about 175 staff on Saturday to make that event go like it's like it's supposed to. Wow. Um, of course, we don't have, you know, we don't have 175 people, but, mm -hmm. you know, we hire a we hire a security team, we hire a box office team, we hire a trash team, we hire a team to set up the bleachers. So a lot of it, you know, we've, we've got, uh, we have 22 semi loads of K rail that come in. So we've got to have drivers and people to set that K rail. We've got our staff that preps the track. Uh, we've got our timing and scoring crew. There's just a lot of pieces that go into an event like that. Other events like, um, I'll, I'll, I'll just use, uh, search for the ultimate streetcar again. We, we do a 10 event series. We actually have eight staff that run each and every one of those events eight. Wow. <laughs> and that's a, that's a full blown three day weekend television, the whole nine yards. And we do that with eight staff. That's impressive. So, so there, it runs there goes the my plan. I, I was going to, <laughs> I was going to start while we're sitting here. I've actually been registering the name FM four marketing <laughs> and my, my plan is to actually round up an entire staff on Fiverr and have an automotive event that turns out to be the ultimate of automotive <laughs> events we're gonna hire, hire hell's angels as a security <laughs> i mean oh yeah that's awesome <laughs> I, I can't get over it like okay my mom growing up my, my parents were really heavy duty car people and mm -hmm. my mom had taken it upon herself when she got involved with their uh, their Tri-5 Chevy Club to decide to run the car show a few years. And I remember all the work that went into that behind the scenes. And that's literally, that's a local car show. That's the equivalent of like a cruise night when you get down to it. Mm -hmm. So I'm just sitting here, as you're mentioning all the things that have to be done, I'm going through every phone call and checklist that we used to have to make to run that show. And just thinking, man, just the sheer logistics behind that and having people in place that you can trust. And this is going to lead to a whole other question that I have for you as far as vetting, you know, employees and people to contract for this. Mm -hmm. I can imagine there's got to be a science behind that. But my hat is off to you because, holy cow, there's so much work that I don't think people even begin to comprehend when you get down to this. This is we didn't comprehend nuts. it either 
when, when we first started, um, we, you know, I always <laughs> tell people we just didn't know any better. And so, <laughs> so we said, Hey, this sounds like fun. Let's put on this event. And, and then we started thinking it through. And, and as we started thinking it through, we, we just realized, well, damn, there's a lot of details that go into this. And so the one thing we did is, is as we thought of everything, we started writing it down and we, and we made lists and, and that, you know, the very first event that we did, um, you know, we came away with a list that had like 30 items on it that said, okay, these are the 30 items that, that we have to think about every time we do an event. And, and we used the next event we did, we used that list of 30 items and then we're like, oh shit, we got to do more. I'm sorry. I, I, this is a family show. Shoot. We got to do more <laughs> because we didn't think of, of these 15 things either. So now our list became 45 and, and that list eventually morphed into what we now call an event plan. And so every event we do has an event plan and we have, we have kind of a, a, a set event plan for different types of an event. If we're doing a, a spectator event, we, we start with this event plan or if we're doing a, a racing event, we do this event plan. If we're doing like a hot rod power tour, we do this event plan, but we've got all of these written down now and, and we have, you know, so we're not starting from scratch and everything we do. So you know, we go by the event plan and we've been doing this now for so long that the last few years we haven't added anything to our event plan. In fact, we've become more efficient. We've been able to take some things off of our event plans, but that's how we really get started in, in doing an event. And, and everybody works, including our client, everybody works off of that event plan. So, and here's, and the event plan is everything that needs to happen right up until the event starts. So when we leave our office to fly to the event, whether it be set up or, or the first day of the event, that's where the event plan stops. And then we have a playbook and, and, a, you know, we take that term. I, I took the term from football because every football team has a playbook. And in that playbook is listed every play that covers every scenario that you could even imagine on, in a football game. And it's a big, thick book, right? So we have a, we have a playbook that is now developed for every single event that we do. So the event plan is everything that leads up to the event. And then during the event, everyone working that event has a playbook and that playbook literally covers every minute of every day from the time we set foot at the facility until we leave that facility. And sometimes it's every two minutes that there's something on the playbook that needs to happen. Sometimes it's every 15 minutes. It just, but every single thing that has to happen from every single person that's there at that event is listed in the playbook. And so everybody has a playbook and, and the playbook is crucial because it's, it's the roadmap on how the event is going to run and everybody is on the same, you know, we're all going in the same direction because we're all reading the same playbook. It's also critical because if someone is unable to handle their responsibilities, if they get sick or, or something happens, they get injured and they're not able to, to do their job, someone else can step in and because they're on the playbook and the instructions are right there on what, what has to happen. And what that does is it just assures that, that nothing gets missed. And we've planned these things for so long now that, at each and every event, when people say, man, these things go off like well-oiled machines, they're supposed to. That's, that's what's supposed to happen because we've run that event in our head so many times before we ever set foot on the property of doing the event. The only thing that we have to deal with then 
when we're on the property. It's all execution. The only thing that we have to deal with is that's a surprise is if, if something out of the ordinary comes up and then we handle it. And if something really out of the ordinary comes up and it happens more than once, then we add it to the playbook. So we don't have to think about it anymore. We simply execute while we're there. Outstanding. And as someone who's written my, my own fair share of policies and procedures manuals, I, I became a big fan of that. I was always have a policy for everything and have a contingency plan and a backup plan. And we do that a lot with the podcast. Not that you'd know if you listen to it. We can try <laughs> to hide that really well. I am geeking out listening to this because it's, to me, that's right where I like to live. I like to know that, you know, if this happens, you know, person A is going to step in and do their job. And while they're doing that, person B is doing theirs, C is doing theirs, and everybody's kind of overseeing everything. That's, that's the real beauty of it. I love that whole, the design nature that goes behind something like this. Thanks it's for sharing cre- that. You're welcome. Yeah. It's, it's kind of the creative part that we get to do. And it's, again, it, it's kind of our bread and butter. And I think what makes us special and, and because I think a lot of, a lot of companies out there that do events do them pretty well. But I, but I always say that, that what separates the, the great from the good is that last sometimes 5%. You know, if you do 95% of everything right, then you're doing pretty good. But if you can get real close to that hundred percent and, and nobody's perfect and, and I know that and, and we're not either because we, we figure out things we can improve at the end of every single one of these events. But, but even if you can get to 98%, that, that 3% difference really resonates with people and they, they see it. It, it, ju- it's just perceived. It's not, there's probably not any one thing that they can look at and say, this is why this event was better. But it's, it's a perception. It's a feeling that you get when you leave there that, you know what? I had a great time. I had a great time. I didn't have to worry about anything. I, I knew where I was supposed to be, when I was supposed to be there. Everything happened on time. There were no major incidents that, that caused me grief or that caused me to sit in my car in a hot race suit for 25 minutes waiting on I don't know what. Communication was good. When people leave an event feeling like that, that is success for us. Oh, yeah. Right. And and what I like about your plan is that the show is constantly moving and it's moving in the right direction. There's no dead time in it where people are trying to figure something out on the fly. It's already has an idea. It has a plan and it's moving. Yeah. If if we're trying to figure something out on the fly, we didn't do our job correctly. And, And that's how we look at it. We have a job to do just like everyone else has a job to do. And that is our job. And if we're working on something at the event and trying to figure it out on the fly, we didn't do our job properly going into the event. And, and we, we don't want to do that. We, we want to be better. We want to be better than everybody else out there. It's what we strive for every time we do an event. We want to make it the best event that the spectators and participants have ever been to. And we want them to leave there being able to think to themselves, man, this I can't wait to tell my friends or I can't wait to tell my husband, my wife, my anybody. And, and what we talk about all the time, the, the most important thing that we do, the most important thing is create memories for people. If 20 years from now, somebody that went to one of our events sits down with their grandkids and say that one year I went to LS fest, you can't believe it. I had so much fun. I did this, I did that. (laughs) That's the most important thing in the world to us. Because that can't be replicated. 
in in any form or fashion by any and it it can't that kind of satisfaction can't be achieved from any physical thing that you can touch or feel when you create a memory like that that's a lifetime thing that that you've done and and we're you know we're we're pretty humbled that that we have the opportunity to be able to do that for people and and we take that very very seriously well, I, I, I think that's great your your events are very family friendly and i think that may, maybe i'm just overstepping my bounds at least from my perspective it seems that you know we all come from that same generation where car shows were really boring and drab you went to a car show <laughs> You sat around on a lawn, you listened to really crappy 50s music over and over again, played way too loud. <laughs> you went home with a sunburn and you know, a $3 trophy. Your events are really tailored to, again, capturing the energy. Like I said, I love the fact that you're out to make memories. Yeah. So it's the kind of thing where you can take an entire family to. Everybody has a great time and brings home the memories. It's not, you know, one guy who's going, man, my family's going to love watching my YouTube channel to see how I spent the weekend. <laughs> and again, I think that ties back to, again, your understanding of the industry and the fact that you you have a staff that are people who live this. And, and that's that's a really cool, unique thing. I tell people a lot that I grew up driving my car, not polishing it. And I, I, you know, I learned to be, I, I was a car guy from a very early age. My, my dad liked to work on cars. We never had, when I was a kid, we never really had any fancy cars. We didn't have any custom cars or anything like that. But my dad liked to work on cars and, and we always had something that, that he was driving that, that needed worked on. And, and I, I got interested in, in cars at, at a very early age. And my dad liked to go to local car shows because that's, that's really that's how he got his fix. You know, he didn't have one. So he'd go to local car shows and admire other people's cars. And so, but I learned early on that I didn't really like that. I, you know, cars to me are mass produced products that were meant to be driven. There are very few cars out there that I consider to be true collector's items. And, and trust me, I know because I, I ran a business, I ran a, a business called Imagine Motorsports before we started FM3 Performance Marketing. At Imagine Motorsports, we did investment-grade restorations on Mopars, Shelbys, and Pontiac GTOs. That's all we worked on. And we did investment-grade restorations on these things. I mean, I researched every nut, bolt, chalk mark, and, and it was the most miserable thing I've ever done. <laughs> because, <laughs> because everybody out there knows something different. And I mean, we did this mm. at a very high level. Um, and, you know, I talked to people that worked in the Chrysler factory. I talked to people that worked at the, at the Ford Motor Company. I talked to people that worked at the place that did the, at K&K, that, that built the Shelbys. And, and so I, I talked to these people about how these cars were built, what techniques they used, because we wanted to replicate that as best we could, because we were trying to, to recreate something as accurately as possible. And so those cars never got driven because we were doing, you know, we were doing 70 and, and 71 Cudas. We did the 70 through 74 Challengers. We did the Pontiac uh, GTO Judges. We did Shelby, you know, KR Convertibles. Um, worked on a lot of stuff like that. And, and when you did that kind of high-level restoration on them, people didn't really drive those cars. They, they took them to shows to show them off. They took them to, to judging shows to try and earn 
you know, some kind of gold level trophy or award, whatever. And, and that was all well and good. And there's a whole group of people out there that love to do that kind of stuff. And, and, and part of it is that, that there are, there is some history being preserved there. And, and I appreciate that. But for the most part, what we're doing is designed for all of the other cars that aren't those that were built in, in, in a mass produced factory. They were built by the hundreds of thousands or even millions. And the most fun that you can have with one of those vehicles is planting your butt in the driver's seat and pushing on the skinny pedal to make it go. That's what I grew up doing. I never had any fancy cars growing up, but man, I, I sure like to take whatever I had and drive the snot out of it. <laughs> and so that's what we're trying to do. And we think that's what the interactive type of event, it's more fun for the participant and it's way more fun for the spectators. And, and of course, families, families can be involved in that. And I love it when we have father-son teams, father-daughter teams, mother-son teams that come out and participate together. Um, family's a, family's a big part of it. I, I didn't come from a big family, but I love to see families participate in this kind of stuff. I think that's one of those other things that is really important in life. If you've got a family and, you know, hang on to that family and build on it and do things together because it'll just bring your family closer. Yeah. And I hear you call it an event sometimes and I'm thinking this is more of an experience than an event, you know, and it's, I guess it is. Yeah, we, we call yeah. ourselves, you know, we, we, our, our company is an experiential marketing company. Yeah. If you, that's a category in the, in the marketing business mm -hmm. and, and that's where we fit is in that experiential marketing business. But again, that, that just sounds so corporate. We, we're not. Yeah, I, I worked at J.P. Morgan Chase for a big part of my life. I was an investment banker. My first career, I was an investment banker, and I worked in the big corporate world. And now, I, I, I that's not us. That's not what FM3 is. I mean, we we are a corporation legally, but we don't, you know, we don't have a, a, a big office with a boardroom and all that other kind of stuff. We're not, you know, we're not a Madison Avenue advertising company. We're not a we're not a Detroit marketing company. We are we are FM3 marketing. We we do experiential events that that create memories for participants and spectators alike, and that's the most important thing we do. That is, wow, you you took this. Uh, I, I I keep going back in my head to what, what you were saying before when you were working with Imagine Motorsports, you know, doing the investment grade restorations. I wonder, man, if at any point when you're when you're doing a, a restoration like that, because you've got to research everything, like you said, the techniques that were used on the assembly line, I always wondered if there's a company out there that's so in-depth with that, just speaking of, and I'm going to tie this whole experience thing together, but I just wonder if there's a company out there who hired a guy who's like the, um, like the method actor of restoration artists, where he takes the time to learn, you know, that... Joe, who worked in the paint line, had a bit of a nose candy problem back in the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, I, I always wonder if there's that kind of thing where he devotes himself so deep into it. It's like, well, when he gets out of rehab, he'll be ready to start your project, <laughs> sir. Or Mike worked in the paint shop and he weighed 400 pounds, so he really couldn't lean down to paint the rockers. And so all the Shelby's on the right hand side, there's no paint on the rocker. There's a mill it's, and a half of paint there versus yeah. 40 mils of paint. It's <laughs> funny the stories that come out of some of that research, though. You're you're not far <laughs> from 
reality in in what happened in a lot of those a lot of those things. Now I talked to a lot of guys that worked on assembly lines, and and because that's where these cars were produced is on an assembly line, and right. the the purpose of an assembly line is to be as efficient as you can be and crank out as many cars as you can. And I remember a specific story I was I was researching. I I own an AMX and and I was doing some some research on on AMC stuff and I, I was lucky enough to talk to an old guy that that worked in the factory at Kenosha putting together uh, AMXs. And I don't know if you if you're familiar with with a stock AMX, but but they have a they have a pretty large front bumper from from top to bottom. The thing is about nine inches. It's it's big. It's it's slanted, but but it's a big wide bumper on a on a pretty small car and um those bumpers notoriously they did not fit if you look at any amx you can look at one side of the bumper and there's a there's a kind of a cutout on each front fender where the bumper is supposed to tuck in there and inevitably if you look at any amx from the factory one side will be about a half inch away from that cutout the other side will be anywhere from one eighth of an inch to one inch they're just terrible and I, I happened to mention this to this old guy I was talking to because, and he said, I, I was the guy, I was the guy that installed the bumpers on these cars. And he said, one of the tools that they used to install those, cause those bumpers were stamped. And so they inevitably had a big old twist in them. He had a, a six foot long two by four that was wrapped in foam and black tape that he would wedge under the car and push that bumper into place while another guy bolted it on. Wow. And that's why they never fit. And they didn't care because it was just, here comes yep. another one. Yep. Six minutes down the line, here comes another one. And six minutes later, here comes another one. And my job is to do nothing but bolt that bumper to that car. I'm not measuring where it fits or anything else. There's four bolts and four holes. And my job is to make sure that those four bolts go in those four holes in any manner that takes less than six minutes. So it was kind of an interesting story, but... That stuff, you know, that stuff happens um, in in the real world. It, you know, people don't like to believe that, but that's kind of how things go together sometimes. It's true. And, and tying that back in with your events, it's funny. You guys don't have you guys don't have that mentality at all, which is great. And I'm, I'm not trying to just give you lip service here. Everything <laughs> I've seen is always it's not just somebody saying, "Hey, six minutes down the road." I've got to put on a happy face because these people are going to walk past me as they make their way over to this particular part of the event. It, it seems more like everyone that you have is like there to make it a happy time. It's literally, you guys are like the Disneyland of like car events, but like far more affordable. You know, <laughs> it's funny. You mentioned Disney. We spend a lot of time. We, we actually spend a lot of time researching companies like Disney uh, Royal Caribbean, Harley Davidson, those companies are, they, they have a lot of things in common with what we do, right? And, and you can kind of pick them out. Obviously, Disney is all about their guests and making sure that their guests have a flawless time while they're there. And, and we try and create that same atmosphere. It's like coming to Disneyland for cars, like you said. You know, we look at we look at Royal Caribbean because they do the same thing. Their guests are the most important thing that they have. And we spend a lot of time studying how they keep the morale up for their staff, because there's on a standard cruise ship, there's anywhere from twenty five hundred to five thousand people day in and day out. You don't get to have a bad day if you work for Royal Caribbean. You can't. 
and and that's the same way we are. We're we're kind of like we're kind of like Broadway actors and actresses in that we have to do the same thing over and over and over but the audience is new every time we do it and that audience has not seen what we've done before so we have to do it just as well for them as we did for those guys and it might be the hundredth time we've done it but we have to do it with the same level of enthusiasm and the same passion that we did it you know ten times ago and we look at Harley Davidson a lot because Harley Davidson has created a lifestyle They've created a brand in which people, even if you don't own a Harley Davidson motorcycle, a lot of people buy Harley Davidson branded clothes. They go to motorcycle rallies, even if they don't have a motorcycle, because they love that lifestyle. It's the camaraderie, the, the kind of the brotherhood of, of a, I guess, kind of a club sort of thing. So we try hard to create that same kind of feel with FM3 events. And, and we've we've been fairly successful at it. I, we have a lot of people tell us that I will go to any event that FM three puts on, whether it's a, mm. you know, an ultimate streetcar event or roadkill nights or, uh, you know, a hot red power tour. If FM three is doing it, I want to be there cause I know it's going to be a, I know it's going to be a great time. So we've, we've had a little bit of success, uh, in doing that, right. but that's what we spend a lot of time doing when we're not, you know, doing event plans and, and playbooks is trying to figure out how to get better, by looking at other companies that are really good at what they do and how it relates to what we do. I just got back from uh, the Bikes, Blues, and Barbecues Festival in Fayetteville, Arkansas. And that is the that is the world's largest charity motorcycle event. And they raise about $2 million uh, every year for charity. And there's about a quarter million motorcycles that that kind of take over Fayetteville, Arkansas, and the local area there in the Ozark Mountains. So Sarojan and I took our Harleys over and and spent four days over there. Um, and we got some time to ride, but but we go to those types of events to see what we can bring back, what what they did well, what didn't do well, and how we can incorporate that into our own events and and try and find something new. We're we're always trying to find something new and and something fresh to to add to our events, to make it an even better experience uh, every time we do one. Outstanding. Well, I, I once went to Comic-Con, and all I brought back was what I still swear was SARS. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, 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 a, I'm a douche. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so was there, was there an event that maybe you went to at one point in your life that inspired you to want to go that extra step? Or was this just kind of an evolutionary thing where you get to this point of putting on uh, like a full service event like this? There's a lot of events that I've been to that have inspired me to be better than that event. Um, and that's, I think, part of what drives what we do. We go to a lot of other events, and, and I want nothing more sometimes than to go to an event and just be a participant and have a good time. And I find so very seldom does that happen. And I go to other events and I, I inevitably find myself disappointed. And, and so finally I said, gosh, we can do this better. <laughs> so let's just do it ourselves because I'm, I'm tired of being disappointed. And, and I oftentimes think to myself, I wish I could be a participant in one of our events. 
And that's something we never do. We, we never participate in our own events because we have a job to do. It's our job and our focus to make sure that our participants and our spectators are having the best time they can. And if we're in, in some way an active participant, then our attention is not where it belongs. And we're doing our participants and our spectators a disservice. So we never participate in any of our own events with the exception of the charity event that we do called the FM3 Cars and Cones. It's a, it's a road trip charity event that we do. And that one's really laid back. And, and we encourage all the sponsors and, and staff and everybody to just participate as one big group. And it really works well. But we don't participate in any other events because of that very thing. And so many events have inspired us. But we've oftentimes been inspired because they just weren't up to our standards of, of having a great time. And we want to make sure people have a great time. I love that attitude. I, I want to take a second to thank you for the opportunity this past year. I, I was fortunate to do some artwork for the Cars and Cones event. And that was really great for me on just kind of a personal level, getting to draw you know, uh, Daphne's wagon into that and everything like that for Chad. Uh, yeah. That was a really cool deal. And I just want to thank you guys for, you know, kind of throwing that my way. I, I was, You're welcome. Well, we, I, I can't think of anybody I'd rather have do artwork for us. I just, in, and some of the times we don't ask you is simply because I know how busy you are doing it. And, you know, I, I know you do a lot of work for Holly and a lot of work for other folks. And, and so, you know, honestly, if you could do all of our artwork, I'd love to have you do it, but I, I know how stacked up you can be sometimes. But, um, Thanks for thanks for bringing up the the road trip uh, cars and cones because that's an event we created and we own that event and it's a it's worked out I, I can't believe how well it's worked out we're we're going into our fourth year now of of the FM3 road trip cars and cones and we actually came up with the concept of the road trip event after doing the hot rod power tour for a number of years we we do all the logistics and and all the heavy lifting for hot rod power tour and we talked about that a little earlier and. I remember I, I, my first power tour was back in 2004 and I've been on just about everyone since then. But even before that power tour didn't used to be as big as it is now. And, and a lot of people remember back to the days when it was a little smaller and a little more personal. And we started hearing from a lot of people while we were doing power tour that, man, this is, this event's great, but gosh, it's just so big. So the light bulb went off in our head and said, you know what, let's, Let's take that input and then let's create something that let's give people what they want. And so we created an event called FM3 Road Trip and we limited it to a hundred cars because we feel like that's a number of cars that you can have a personal relationship with everybody on the tour. It's, it's easier to manage as far as venues go and, and blocks of hotels and things like that. And so we did the first one back in, uh, in 2000. 14 and we decided that we were going to make it a charity event. We were we were trying to figure out a way to to give back to the industry that has well th that's really helped our business and and so we wanted a way to give back and and help the industry. So we decided to make it a charity event and we decided that we would we would find somebody in our industry that that just needed some help. And, uh, the first year we did it, um, our, our friend Todd Rumpke had just been diagnosed with, uh, with cancer uh, a few months before that. So we decided, we decided to dedicate the, the tour to 
Todd. And it, it kind of started out with, okay, we'll just, you know, we'll take up a, a donation here and there. And um, the first year we did that with, we, we actually didn't even have a sold out field the very first year we did it. We had, we had 85 cars and about a hundred and I want to say we maybe had 120 people all in with passengers and, and everybody and sponsors and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, those 120 people donated $10,000 in cash that week. I couldn't believe it. And, and I mean, we, we were just beside ourselves at the generosity of the people in our industry. And so we, we built, you know, we built on that, on that very first year. And the second year, uh, we did the road trip. Uh, we did it for Daphne Reynolds, Chad's wife, uh, who had been diagnosed with cancer, um, just a few months before that. We were lucky enough to have Chad and Daphne be able to go on the road trip with us. And it was one of the, one of the last car events that Daphne got to do before she passed away. Um, that year we collected $25,000 in cash during the week from just from our participants. Now understand this is not, we're not soliciting anybody and, and I mean, we're certainly not soliciting anybody outside of, of the, the people that are on the road trip and those people simply walk up and drop a hundred dollar bills into what we call the charity cup. We put it out everywhere we go. And, and now we've, we've developed a kind of a cool thing where we have donatable offenses and it's, it's all fun things. And, you know, so if, if you win, you know, we do an autocross, the, the whole, the whole road trip consists of a, of, of a road trip like hot rod power tour. It's typically 1700 to 2000 miles. We usually start at, or end at, at ride tech in Jasper, Indiana. And then we either start or finish at Detroit speed in, in Mooresville, North Carolina. And then we have various stops in between. And we've been to places like no limit engineering. We've been to, we've been to forge line and, and we've been to NCM motorsports park and toured the Corvette museum and, um, just a whole bunch of places and businesses around there. And we stop for dinner every night and we do an autocross every day. Well, one of the donatable offenses is if you have the fast time of the day for the autocross, you know, instead of getting a prize, you're required to donate a hundred bucks if you have the fast time of the day. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's kind of a, we call it an anti-competition and it's, it's really set up to not be a competition. We want people to come out and enjoy their cars, have fun, not feel any pressure to, to try and win anything. So we call it an anti-competition, but it turns out that the year we, uh, you know, the year we did for Chad and Daphne, we, we were able to donate $25,000 in cash to, to Chad and Daphne. And it was a real help for them. Um, you know, to, to help them pay some of their bills and, and take care of some things that, that needed to be taken care of. Uh, last year, uh, we did it for Aaron Oberly, who's a good friend of ours in the, in the pro touring world. And, uh, Aaron was diagnosed with leukemia and, uh, we were able to actually donate $31,000 to Aaron and his family, uh, to help him, you know, pay some of his bills and, and take care of stuff. And, and Aaron is now doing really well. In fact, he's, he's gotten a clean bill of health just this month oh, from his doctor. Right. So it's, it's worked out pretty well. But the FM3 road trip has turned out to be just a, a wonderful event. It's, it's so much fun to do. We have, you know, we have sponsors every day that come on board and they, they pay for dinner at night. And, and we have sponsors that give away. We give away about $75,000 worth of automotive parts during the week. 
um, from, you know, we typically give away two sets of tires every day. We give away suspension systems. We give away, you know, gift certificates for things like ARP and Holly gives away an EFI system every year for road trip cars and cones. So it's, it's turned into a really, really neat event, gets a lot of attention and, and does, you know, some pretty good work for, for folks in our industry that need some help. We just announced, we just announced the dates actually for the 2019 uh, cars and cones. It's going to be April 1st through the 5th next year. Uh, we do limit it to 100 cars. So um, we have a website called FM3 Road Trip. Um, keep an eye on there. We usually open up registration the last week of December. So that week between Christmas and New Year's, we hope people got Christmas money. So they're going <laughs> to sign, <up laughs> sign up for the event. And it sells out. It sells out pretty quick. Well, if you're okay, I'd, I'd like to uh, I'd like to put a link to that uh, so people can get the information when we put the show up. That'll be in the show notes. Yeah, that'd be great. It's just fm3roadtrip.com. There, there's got to be a point in the past when you you look back, you had an event, and you said, "Man, we've really got something here." And it, obviously, you guys have built on that to a point now that where each one of your events just seems to get bigger and better and better. Is there any place that you want to see FM3 in the future? Is there ever con a concern of ever being too big? No, not for us. I mean, we 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 thought about. I remember, <laughs> I, I distinctly remember when we first started our business and we were doing smaller events, and um, we had heard through the grapevine, and we'd always been. Um, I've I've had the unique experience of of being a participant on Hot Rod Power Tour. And then being a sponsor of Hot Rod Power Tour. And and so we had gotten word through the grapevine that the operations for Hot Rod Power Tour were going to be put up for bid. And I remember specifically thinking to myself that, man, I would love to have that business, but there's no way we can handle that. <laughs> I, I, and I remember telling my partner that we're not ready for that. And, and I have to give my partner credit because he said, you know what? He said, when my wife and I were having a family, we talked about it and, and we were talking about having kids. You know, I told my wife we weren't ready for that. And my wife said, if we ever wait till we're ready for that, we're never going to have kids. Mm. And he, he told me that story in the context of Hot Rod Power Tour. He said, if we never bid on Hot Rod Power Tour, we're never going to be ready for it. Mm. And, and I said, you're absolutely right. So with much trepidation, we, we threw our hat in the ring and said, we can do this. And we built our proposal, sent it into them, talked to the people that, that we needed to talk to, and we were awarded the business. And, and I remember when we got that piece of business thinking, holy, <laughs> yeah. what have we done? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what are we going to do now? Because we got it. Yeah. But you know what? The first year we did it, we got so many compliments from not only the hot rod staff, but from participants that had been on power tour multiple years. The very first year we did it, we got so many compliments that said, this is so much better than it's been in a long time. Thank you. And we knew then that, okay, we got this. We, we can, we can do this. And then we just took the bull by the horns and did whatever we could to make it better and better and better. And, and it's, it's worked out okay. But for us to, you know, we've, we've figured out doing things like that, that there's nothing too big. I mean, that is the world's largest, that's the world's largest traveling 
car show and we do it. So if we can do that and if we can, you know, be the first company ever to get a permit to close down Woodward Avenue and build a real drag strip and, and run a drag race on Woodward <laughs> Avenue in front of 30,000 people. No one's ever done that either. That's mind-blowing. So, I don't know how you did that. You guys Jedis or something? You well, maybe, mind tricks on somebody? That's crazy. Uh, it, was, it was really hard. And, and <laughs> you, have to, you have to have some political savvy to get that done because you deal with and, – and we do that. We, we, deal with, we deal with all kinds of government entities all the way, you know, starting at the city council level all the way up to the state level. And, and trying to get these events done because we do, you know, we do open road races. So we, we work with different states on, on open road races and, you know, we have to get permits to do all of that stuff. We do filming and we have to do film permits. So we've figured out how to, how to do all that stuff. Now, my, my professional background actually helps in that. And, and I've, you know, I learned a lot being an investment banker for almost 20 years. Um, you know, you, you learn how to, walk into a room and, and not be intimidated by anybody. I mean, I've, I've walked into boardrooms of some of the largest companies in the world when I was an investment banker. So now walking into somebody's office, I'm not really intimidated by anybody. And, and it, I, I, that confidence kind of comes across when we do presentations. And I think other people in our, in our industry haven't had the, the luxury of having that kind of background. So it, it, I think that helps us. I'm still blown away. Drag racing on Woodward Avenue. That's the coolest thing ever. <laughs> you're, you're caught up on that. I'm thinking, well, well here's a guy who, like, it, it's weird. I, I've always stuck with this uh, this weird quote that I've had pinned to my desk for, oh, my God, more years than I care to say out loud. But uh, the, the quote is really simple. It's just, it's, you know, all things are delicately interconnected. And your whole professional career path really seems to illustrate that quite well. I mean, having that experience, like you said, with investment banking and being able to walk in and gain that confidence to be able to utilize that today to pursue a whole other goal, that that's pretty unreal. And I think that's a really great lesson for, you know, again, one of our seven listeners out there. If you're <laughs> planning on doing anything, no matter what you're doing presently, you can find a way to apply that later on in life. At least if you're smart, and obviously you're smart enough to have done that and many other things. So and hats off to you, sir, that, um, uh, well, be a, it'd be a really tough gig to try to, you know, connect wall street to, you know, a streetcar event, but yet here you are and you seem to make it work. So. <laughs> well, I've been, I've been extremely lucky in my life and I hope that never runs out. Um, I often tell people I'd rather be lucky than good because I'm more lucky than I am good. <laughs> so, um, it, I wish I could tell you the whole thing was planned to be that way. It, 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 it worked out. It, it worked out that way. And, um, you know, I, I, one of the, one of the quotes I, I have actually as on the signature of my email says life begins where your comfort level ends. And I, I try and be the, the living version of that, of that quote. And I'm, you know, I, I now physically try to put myself and our company in places where we're just a little uncomfortable because it, it forces us to do things that we may not have done if we didn't ever set foot outside of our comfort level. And it, it kind of keeps us moving forward. Right. That's such a, you know, it's, it's, I can't say it's a risky place to go, but there's probably that, 
thing in the bottom of your stomach going, man, I just don't know about this one. And I've been in situations like that before, too, where your first initial thought is, I don't know, man, this one just, I don't know. I think I may have bit off too much. But it also pushes you to go to that next level, and it makes you think at, uh, and look at things a little differently. And, and it makes you take what you have in front of you and, and make it the best that you could possibly make it. And those seem to be the one the experiences that you remember the most or or they mean the most to you. <laughs> there's there's been more good than bad come from that. But yeah. there there have been there have been times when we have there there's been situations where if someone was paying attention, you know, we did look like monkeys having sex with a football. Um, <laughs> we we look back on those and laugh and we could probably write a book uh, that would be funny stories like that and yeah. that you know it's it's my partner says, as long as nobody knows what's paddling the duck, that's fine. Um, and, and that's, that's kind of how we look at those. Cause most of those things that have happened have been outside of the public, you know, line of sight. And so we've been able to kind of walk them off and say, well, that didn't work so great. Let's yeah. not do that again. Um, mm -hmm. and part, but that's part of what, that, that's part of that territory in, in yeah. being where you're uncomfortable and not knowing sometimes exactly what the outcome is going to be. Every once in a while, it's not going to be what you want it to be, but you, you've just, in my mind, you, you have to take that risk in, in order to figure out where the limit is. Yeah. You know, it's, it's kind of like when, when you drive, you know, and you're on a track, I'm one of those drivers that I will go and go and go until I spin out and then I'll back off from there and say, okay, that's the limit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now back off from there a little bit. You know, we're not ones to really sneak up on something. We go right at it. And, and then we'll, you know, we'll figure out kind of where that limit is and then work right around that edge. That's, and that's a big science right now, the whole mind-gut relationship, you know, how the two are wired together. And it, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, you've got to go with the gut. And there's other times the mind tends to work. And, well, other times you follow the heart and you wind up, well. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know. But um, I, wish, I wish more people would, would follow their gut in our business. Our, our business our, our business experiential marketing really is a, a gut feel sort of business. It's if you, if you sit down and, and you look at all of the, the marketing analytics and formulas that are out there that are kind of industry standards and you, you apply numbers to them, oftentimes certain things don't add up in, in a, in a formula like that. You know, you look at something like LS Fest that has become just a huge, huge success and a huge brand for Holly. If you, if someone at Holly, and I'll, I'll, I'll just call out Bill Tishner and Tom Tomlinson because those two guys had a vision. We sat down in, uh, I want to say it was in 2009 at PRI, and, and Bill sat down with my partner and I at PRI and said, you know, do you guys have any ideas? We're, we're trying to come up with, you know, kind of an event that we want to do that's uniquely Holly and, and we know the LS motor is going to be a big thing and we've got a bunch of parts that we're going to build for this thing. And, um, it, we actually sat down with Bill Tishner and, and conceived LS Fest as this, you know, three day festival and, and five ring circus, you know, smoke, noise, everywhere you turn, there's something going on. But putting it on paper, it's like, well, shit, that's never going to work because, you know, it takes so much money to just put this thing on and we don't know if anybody's going to show up. But 
Bill and Tom had that gut feel that this is the right thing to do. It may not add up on paper, but it's the right thing to do. We just know it is. And look how successful it's become. I mean, it, it's literally become another brand for Holly. They own it. LS Fest, everybody thinks about Holly and all the Holly brands. And in the experiential business, a lot of people we sit down with and we go through all of this stuff, they don't have the stomach for it because the numbers don't add up right off of the bat. They, they are unable to see the bigger picture and they're unable to, to follow their gut instinct. And, and so they can't make that decision to, to pull the trigger, pull the trigger. So it makes things in our business, it's, it, it can be a tough sell sometimes to, to get an event like that going and, and off the ground. We have lots of, we have lots of ideas and lots of concepts, but sometimes finding the right partner to make it work is, is a little challenging. Kevin Oste was on our show a few episodes back. And he brought up a really good point that, you know, if you really wanted to get someone into the car hobby or anything like that, you get them into the seat of a car. You guys do kind of a thing, too, where you guys have a share the ride program that you're involved with as far as autocross goes. Can you tell us just a little bit about that? Yeah, we do. A, we do a couple of things <clears throat> with autocross. Excuse me. We are. We've we've created a new series, and and our new series is called Drive Auto X, and it's it's something that we've wanted to do for quite a while. As you know, the the sport of autocross has been around since my gosh the fifties, and and it's pretty much a standard format of setting up some cones in a parking lot, one car at a time goes through the cones, and you get a time. And for for drivers. That, that's kind of a pretty fun thing to do, right? It doesn't tear up your car. You go out in this parking lot. There's no harm, no foul. If you hit a cone, you know, you're not going to hit a wall. It tends to be low speed, lower speed stuff. So you're not wearing out brakes and tires at every single event. So it makes performance driving kind of uh, accessible to a, a group of people. But if you're not the driver that's out on the course, you're either shagging cones or watching someone else out on the course. Both of those suck. Um, shagging cones is terrible. It's hot. <laughs> you're on asphalt. And, and Lord knows if I'm running now, it's because somebody's chasing me. And so <clears throat> that's not something I want to do. But watching a single car navigate cones on a parking lot is about as exciting as watching corn grow. And it's, so we've, we've been trying for a long time to figure out how can we change that? How can we make it way more fun for the participants? And, and how can we bring spectators into this? Because it's something that the more spectators you have, the more fun the drivers have. Because now it's like, I'm somebody. Look at all these people watching me. That's a cool thing spectators love to see something like that. And if we can get them out there to the show to watch it and to get in the passenger seat and ride along, then more often than not, they're going to want to do that. And when they figure out that they can do it and they can do it and have a lot of fun doing it and not tear up their car and do it for a reasonable price and get a lot of seat time, that's what we're trying to accomplish. So we came up with the concept and we call it drive auto X. We don't call it autocross on purpose because we've changed up the format to some degree and we've taken some elements of 
monster truck racing. We've taken some elements of NHRA drag racing. And we've taken some elements of autocross, and we've kind of combined them all into a single event that we call Drive Auto X. And it's a, you know, the idea is to give people lots of seat time, make sure they don't have to work cones, and give spectators something to look at. And we, we accomplished that through a couple different things. Number one, we have teamed up with the National FSAE organization, which every, uh, every major college in the country has an FSAE program, and that's the Formula SAE program. That's a, it's basically a curriculum for, for youngsters, young kids to get into that have an interest in the automotive world. And it oftentimes teaches them to be, you know, mechanics, but it also teaches them design elements and other things that take place in the automotive world. Well, we've teamed up with, with the, the national FSAE group to bring out everywhere we go, we bring out the local FSAE team and, and they volunteer. They come out and volunteer and they come to the event and they, they shag cones for us. They do timing and scoring for us. They work grid for us. It's a great opportunity. They're required to have a certain number of volunteer hours every year. So it, it accomplishes that for them. But it also exposes them to something else in the automotive world that's not necessarily part of the FSAE curriculum. They see what we're doing and realize that's part of the automotive world that maybe they want to participate in as well. So it, it's kind of it works well for us. It works well for them. So no more shagging cones because now we've we've partnered up with FSAE and we make a donation to every one of the the local clubs that comes out to help us. The kids volunteer, but we make a donation to their club, which helps them you know with materials and things that they need uh, for their curriculum. So that accomplishes not having to uh, not having to shag cones. Second of all, <laughs> we want to get a lot of seat time. So what we've done is is we've figured out a format in which we can get people, you know, typically 12 to 14 runs a day. Uh, we start at 9, we finish at 5. Um, we get you about 12 to 14 runs during a day, which is a lot of runs for somebody. On a, you know, if you think about a typical, um, I'm, I'm not going to call out the club, but there are four letters. It starts with an S and ends with an A. But if you think about a typical <laughs> event like that, you know, you might get, you might get six runs on a good day. Um but you're typically only, gonna get, only, only going to get three at a time, and then you're going to have to go out and work the parking lot and shag cones before you might get three more. That's a typical day. We want to blow that out of the water. And, and there's nothing wrong with that club other than that's not what a lot of people want to do. That's just not the experience they want. When they want to learn to drive their car and have fun driving it, that's not the experience they want. So we have a format that gets a lot of cars out in a very short period of time, and then we've taken the NHRA bracket format where we take, uh, and instead of using a 16-car bracket, we take an 8-car bracket, and we have a runoff. Two cars on track in a heads-up format, and we, we, call it the, we, we call it the Optima format because it's, you know, Optima is one of the primary sponsors of our Drive Auto X series. But basically what we do is if you think of an autocross track, let's, let's take that autocross track and just say it's a circle, you know, let, for simplicity's sake. Let's just say it's a circle, like a clock. One car starts at 12, one car starts at 6. Both of those cars run that whole circle back to their place they started. The first one back to their starting point wins. So if you think about a typical autocross track, break it in half, put two cars there. Each car runs the full track. They don't run into each other. They're not running side by side. They're not fender to fender. But they're competing against each other in a heads-up competition. First one back to the finish line wins, and they move on to the next round. 
it makes it a spectacular experience for the participants and something that spectators can enjoy watching. And they can get behind a driver now because there's a guy that's racing another guy. And it might be a Ford and a Chevy. You know, it, it, it's it's a rivalry of some sort that somebody in the crowd says, I want that person to win. And so they, they get into it more than they would if it's just a single car going around a bunch of cones trying to get a time. So that, in a, well, that wasn't a short story. In a long story, that's Drive Auto X. And we created that series this year. We're doing our final event at Mineral Wells, Texas, uh, coming up October uh, 13th and 14th. And uh, that should be a good one. That's going to be our last event of the year. It's our fourth one we've done this year, and we're, uh, we're working on the schedule for next year um, to, uh, to run it again next year. So it's, it's just a lot of fun, and we're trying to, again, just change the, the paradigm of what is autocross to, to make it more fun for the participant and spectators. When we're off the air, I will tell you my idea for a more extreme version of this, which combines figure eight racing and playing in traffic. <laughs> Does it have ramps? Because we've thought of one that has ramps. Too. <laughs> ramps. <laughs> that, that's even like, better than my moat idea. It's like a human version <laughs> of a video game Frogger. <laughs> right. Well, we were thinking about taking steeplechase like for horses and just turning that into cars, right? <laughs> <laughs> if you do that for only pony cars, this could oh, be Oh, how sweet oh. would that be? Oh. How uh, sweet. FM3 pony car challenge. Oh, this is going to be outstanding. <laughs> that would be awesome. The King Shocks people are going to be so interested in sponsoring this one. <laughs> all the drivers, all the drivers have to be five eight and one hundred and fifteen pounds or less. Nice, <laughs> with a ponytail. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> oh gosh. As far as uh, like the business side of things, when you were doing the restoration work with Imagine Motorsports, mm-hmm. and I think this is something that you know some of our our listeners could maybe benefit from. Um, when you got to the point of exiting out of that, how do you plan like an exit strategy when, you know, that is your line of work, you know, you've got a shop, you've got employees, you've got things going on that way. Cause I mean, a lot of the guys that are out there right now running a shop, I don't know if they have like a legacy, you know, mm-hmm. contingency put in place. I mean, that's kind of a tough deal if you're, you know, if yeah. you're Bob Jones and you're running Bob Jones hot rods. And maybe you don't have a Bob Jones Jr. Or maybe Bob Jones Jr. isn't into it. Maybe he's out there. I don't know. He's Mm -hmm. got other interests in life. Sure. You know, where where were you at as far as planning that exit? Is that, like I said, I don't want to dig deep into that. No, that's fine. And and that exit was not, it wasn't a long-term plan, but what, what evolved is kind of how it ended. And, and I'll, I'll just give you, I'll try and tell it as briefly as I can. When I started Imagine Motorsports, it was after I retired from being an investment banker and I had no idea what I was going to do, but I just, I couldn't be an investment banker anymore. It had worn me out and I, I thought I was going to die of a heart attack at, you know, 41 years old. So I said, no, I can't do that anymore. So I, two weeks later, I, I resigned, I said, I'm done. I had enough years uh, I had enough years of service and, and my age that I could I could take an, an early retirement and keep my pension and be vested and all that kind of stuff, um, which a lot of people think when you do that as an investment banker, it must be millions and millions of dollars. Let me tell you, it's really not. 
But it does sound good to say that you retired, you know, at 41 years old. Um, when I got into the, into the car business, I actually tried to, I, it was, it was kind of by a fluke because someone locally was working on my AMX at the time. So I didn't have time to, and I, when I was not a banker anymore, I, I spent more time over there, learned that that business was for sale. And so I, I went about trying to buy that business. And in order to do that, I said, you know what, before I buy your business, I want to work here for a while. So I understand the business. So I went to work there and, and learned a whole lot about the business, created some great relationships with customers and vendors and, and the staff and everybody else. And, and when it came time to buy the business, I got a hold of the books and it was a freaking mess. And it's like, well, shit, that's not going to work. But, but now I've kind of gone down this road. So, okay, I'm going to open up my own shop. So I went and leased a building and, and I had a couple of customers that really liked me that said, okay, I'm going to bring you some cars and, and you can get started that way. And I had another good friend who was a, a classic car dealer that said, I'll give you all of my work that needs done on my cars before I sell them. So worked out pretty good to, to help build my business. But the, the, the restoration business is not a very good money-making business. It's, it's, I, I wouldn't recommend it to anybody. And if you, if you look around and you, you, you study the people that do that now and the people that seem to do well doing it, what you'll notice or what you'll figure out if you look hard enough is that there's typically always another business that helps support that business or a um, TV show. Yeah. There, there's something <laughs> else that's there supporting that because in the restoration, it's just not a lot of money in that business. Um, so while I was doing that, uh, I met my partner who was also in another business. I was actually a customer of my, my partner, Wally Olzak. He ran a business called Imperial Blasting. They did, um, they did custom media blasting. And, and the, the stuff we were working on required you know, custom media blasting. There was no second chance when you're media blasting you know, a 70 Hemi Cuda convertible. There's only 12. So if you mess one up, now there's only 11. So I worked with my partner because he was, he was really good at, at what he did in the media blasting business. That's how he and I met. And while I was running my business, I, I was sending out proposals to, to try and get sponsors for the things that we were doing and, and, and our shop. And that's another area where my, my investment banking background came in really handy because that's, as an investment banker, you write lots of proposals and you do lots of PowerPoint presentations and, it has to be good because you're working with some of the, the largest companies in the world. So that's how I did my proposals and presentations for, for sponsorship stuff. The very first custom car we ever did, I sent out 30 sponsorship proposals and 28 of them agreed and said, okay, we'd love to sponsor you. Um, wow. I, didn't, I didn't know it was any different than that. I didn't know that people didn't follow through on their sponsorship stuff. And so I followed through on all the stuff I said I was going to do. And so people kept coming to me and saying, we want to sponsor your stuff. Well, after a couple of years of that, other people in the automotive industry took notice of that and said, hey, can you help me write proposals and can you help me do what we're doing? And that's really how FM3 Marketing got started. We, we started taking on stuff from other companies that, that weren't as good at it as we were to, to help them. And we were getting paid for that. Um, around 2000, I guess it was six. Um, yeah, right towards the end of 2006, my investment banking background 
came in handy again because I was able to kind of see what was going on with the economy and paying attention to the markets because that that was my life for nearly 20 years was paying attention to the markets and and leading indicators of of where the economy was going and I could kind of see that the economy was starting to go south and the predictions didn't look very good so luckily I was able to start the process of, of planning to continue to promote the marketing company and try and offload the restoration business. Luckily, I was able to find a, a buyer. Um, <clears throat> as part of that sale, I had to go to work for them for a while. Um, but we transferred all the staff and all the projects to the new company. Um, I worked for them for about a year and then moved on and officially opened up FM3 Performance Marketing with my partner, Wally. And that's that's kind of how we got started. And that was kind of the transition, and that was the exit of Imagine Motorsports. And it was, again, it wasn't planned. It, it wasn't anything that was like when I started Imagine Motorsports. I didn't say, you know, four years from now, I'm going to, to sell this business to somebody else. It, it, was, it was driven by just a, a crappy economy and and the upcoming recession that I was lucky enough to kind of see coming down the road and, and someone else, you know, kind of wanted that business. I had some projects that were in the works. I had some great staff and that was enough. They said, we'll take these and, and you can move on. And, and I did. Thank you for sharing that. Sure. Yeah. Well, I truly, I cannot thank you enough for, uh, hmm. for taking an evening and spending it with, with us here. Well, it, it's been my pleasure. I, I really appreciate you guys having me on. I think what you guys are doing is is great. It's it's really interesting, and I'm I'm flattered that you even wanted to have me on as a guest. Oh no, uh, you you were at the top of this, and I I feel bad that we waited this long to get you in here. Um, the great part is, uh, heck, you will yours will be oh yours will be one of the great anniversary editions. I think you're going to be episode thirty. Ooh, wow. Mm. Isn't that awesome? So you, you'll fall one of these days, you know, when we're, you know, who knows, semi-famous <laughs> somewhere beyond like a truck stop. Out the of, somewhere along we're I big 40. in Czechoslovakia. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. Yeah, sure. Somewhere in an English as a second language class, they're, they're using our <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Great. <laughs> I, I should take the opportunity to say if, if anybody is listening and you you know you would like to do a signature event uh, or talk to us you know our website is is fm3marketing.com uh, my email is jimmy at fm3marketing.com my first name spelled funny it's J I M I like Hendrix we referred to that earlier um, <laughs> me and my headband um, <laughs> but if anybody wants to wants to reach out uh, Drive Auto X has its own page driveautox.com anything we you know that we have that you guys want to do anybody's got any ideas they want to talk about feel free to reach out. Um, we've got, we've got capacity. We're happy to, happy to talk to anybody about any events they would like to do or any custom stuff that's experiential. We'd love to do it. Thank you. And I'll make sure I get all of that again into the show notes and seriously, thank you again. Yeah. Yeah. This was phenomenal. You are, you are welcome. It's been my pleasure. Thanks. Man, outstanding episode, sir. Wow, that was great. I, I really had a good time. Uh, it, it, Jimmy was phenomenal. It, it was funny, though. We were, we were talking about this all afternoon, and uh, your excitement level for this, I got to mm-hmm. say, it was all-time high. 
Well, he was kind of uh, in a business, you know, because I've done project management stuff through my job. And so it's really interesting to see how other folks do it and the way that he does it and the styles and, and, and things that they do. I just think they've got a great a great way that they do business, and uh, I really enjoyed hearing how they did it. I mean, he, he said that there's things – he's always looking at the way other people uh, do things and always taking notes, and sometimes he applies it to his own business. Well, I did the same to him. So I looked at you know some of the ways that he's doing things and said, well, maybe I could apply that same sort of mindset to something that I've got coming up in the future. And so it was great. I, I really enjoyed it. Me too, man. And I, I think you, you nailed it right on the head. Super great guy, uh, super mm-hmm. great vision. And mm-hmm. again, it's it's one of those great things. We've been fortunate to have people on here who are really passionate about this whole thing. Yeah. And it really shows with him. And um, man, I, again, I, I wasn't just saying it to say it before. I, I walked out of this one, I, I think, a little bit smarter. Yeah, for sure. Uh it, I, and I, I've got to say that I believe that you're going to see FM3 really, really blow up. I, I, you know, and I mean that in a positive sense. You know, I, I, I see nothing but up for this company. Nothing but up. Me too. And I mean, they're involved in great things. And again, a call back to earlier. I think they're really redefining what it is to have an automotive event or an experience. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it's like whatever they've done, whatever they've touched has gotten better. It's almost like if someone can have like a Midas touch in, in that career field, those guys have it because they're car people promoting car events. So uh, nothing against anybody else that promotes car events that aren't car people, but they have always have that same kind of feel to them, whereas everything that FM3 does has a certain unique feel to it. And like he says, folks come back. And can you imagine being a, a corporation that wants something done and you hire those guys to do it and how much of a load that would be off of your own plate knowing that those guys are full service. They can handle anything and they handle it from the beginning all the way to the end and they do such a good job. I can only imagine at the end uh, what these corporations think that, you know, these guys did a phenomenal job promoting our product and uh, this is great. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah. Just once, I'd like to have that for us, where it's like, hey, uh, all the guys showed up. Um, (laughs) (laughs) No, man. um, Hell, uh, we should be back next week with a relatively full crew. Yes. That's that's a hell of a promise to make. Way to go, Brian. Well, there's a got big plans for SEMA, and so some of these things are uh, going on currently right now, and it it takes some of our team members away from us for a little bit while they're doing their thing. But it's it's all positive, it's all good. Exactly, and we'll we'll talk a bit more about what's going on at the SEMA show in the coming weeks, because uh, man, do we have a lot going on. Yeah, it's going to be busy. Yeah, no more no more buffets. <laughs> <laughs> We, we need to come up with a password uh, for uh, a passcode <laughs> for the thing we talked about earlier where, you know, with the secret handshake. Yeah. Just for our listeners, there needs to be, we'll see. That'll be the word. Walk up to us at the SEMA show on the floor mm-hmm. and say the secret passcode, which will be buffet. <laughs> buffet. <laughs> <laughs> 
And we'll give you a we'll give you a special treat. That's right. Yeah. A <laughs> special gift from uh, from Alex's gift bag. <laughs> there you go. Let me reach deep down into the gift bag. Yep. Well, awesome, man. Um, <laughs> hell, dude. Uh, I I just want to say thanks again to uh, to Jimmy Day of uh, mm. FM3 Marketing. And like I said, uh, we will have all the information as far as uh, the Cars and Cones event, a uh, link to that where you can sign up for the 2019 event if you're one of the lucky, what is it, 100 people? 100. Get in on that and um, check out all their other events as well. Just By think all of all the good events that go on. Yeah, they're involved in it. That's pretty much it. Pretty much it. And that's, you know, that's, that's the honest truth. So, yeah, that said, uh, I guess at the end of this episode, man, uh, once again, I am a much better Brian. And a more enlightened Alex. Outstanding. Thanks for joining us. And uh, we'll catch you guys, uh, and girls, whatever, or in between, whatever we happen to be. Uh, we'll, We'll catch you guys next time. Thanks again for listening, and be sure to keep up with us gearheads over on our website at www.round6pod.com. And if you'd like to, we invite you to follow along with us over on Facebook, Instagram, and be sure to check out all of our latest videos on youtube.com. It's passed down from generation to generation like a doorman. I'm a third-generation stripper card hunter out here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> My grandfather used to work on Fremont and uh, yeah. in front of the Binions. Yeah. Gosh, I remember the day. Yeah. <laughs>